Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Detailing Mind. I'm your host, Jason. Today we're going to just continue our discussion on my thoughts on issues, and this is dealing with the VP debate. Um, as many of you know, it was a pretty heated uh, contest, a real boxing match, if you will. So I thought I'd sit down and just kind of go through my take on the issues covered, uh, what really wasn't covered at all um, for some of the topics, and uh, hopefully I can get this all wrapped up within an hour. Uh, I've got about eight different topics that uh, the candidates hit on the other night, so hopefully I can get through all eight topics here. If not, there might be a part two to this. We'll we'll see how fast I can go through it. So, uh, without further ado, here's kind of my take on the on the VP boxing that we saw the other night during the the vice president uh, debate. Uh, the first topic that they discussed was uh, on COVID, the response, how it was handled, and, and all that stuff. And um, obviously, there was. A certain amount of uh, bashing when it came to China and the World Health Organization. I believe uh, Pence had mentioned that uh, it's basically their fault for uh, what's going on. And that was actually reiterated uh, recently uh, by Trump um, after his little uh, hospital visit from catching coronavirus, getting the COVID. So um, obviously that's kind of been a... uh, a talking point ad nauseum, especially from Trump and Pence and the Republican Party on how it's all China's fault, uh, it's the China virus, and uh, you know the the World Health Organization is basically in their back pocket and being little bitches to uh, China because they're, you know, for some reason, the new boogeyman that uh, the U.S. is needing to uh, demonize. They did do their. Uh, um, fair share of improper things. They also did their fair share of proper things. Um, for a very good take on the breakdown of the uh, response done by China and the WHO, as well as the United States, uh, I'd point you to a, a YouTuber by the handle of uh, Potholer. Uh, he does a pretty good job. He primarily covers the misconceptions of climate change uh, and global warming. But he also jumps into uh, uh, this coronavirus and the uh, reaction it's been getting in in the news. So uh, I'd say go and check him out on YouTube. He does a pretty good job explaining the the a detail of events to kind of disprove the Republican narrative on the subject. So, but beyond that, you know that there's been there's other comments that that were made that. Uh, I wanted to address and then also discuss some things that were, weren't talked about. Um, when it comes to uh, Mike Pence, he had mentioned that uh, Joe Biden called the, the travel ban xenophobic. And uh, it was because the travel ban only applied to China. But at the time... It was going global. So Mike Pence cannot sit there and say that it was a good job to just um, <clears throat> to just shut down travel from China because it was global. And in fact, the uh, reports were saying as early as April that they could trace the spread of the coronavirus on the East Coast to coming from Europe. Likewise when the coronavirus came to the United States on the West Coast, it came from an American citizen who was over in the Wuhan province for work. So putting the travel ban wouldn't work because uh, just on China because, well, for starters, it's an American citizen and Trump was working on getting American citizens back anyway. So... He basically, you know, this this person would have got would have got in and and possibly spread it regardless. So, the this this focus on on uh, um, China being the the primary source of the travel ban is xenophobic, 
because Trump's applying it to China and the Chinese people, and he's not applying it to everybody. The difference between Trump's travel ban and, and the travel ban that was seen in other countries like New Zealand, Canada, etc., etc., was they instituted just a whole out travel ban. No one was going in, no one was going out, regardless of the country. The U.S., on the other hand, like I've been saying all along here, is it only focused on China. Well, as we've seen, as I've mentioned, studies have shown that it came in from Europe and hit the East Coast. So it was too little, too late. Especially on the Trump part, uh, where he was talking about how it's going to be gone by Easter, it's going to be disappear, it's going to be a miracle. He was basically being the uh, prophet charlatan, trying to make some great proclamation that he received from God or whatever that this was going to disappear. That's the role he decided to play and not do anything. And he wasted at least a month of possible um, procedures to actually do something. So you can't sit there and say that you can't sit there and complain about Joe Biden saying that uh, the travel ban was xenophobic because it was. That's what Trump's rhetoric has been regarding China since he was elected, since before he was elected president, was xenophobic uh, China bashing. And they've got their issues, but so do we. And you can't sit there and blame everything on China. So quit with the xenophobic bashing, Trump and Pence, okay? Um, he, Mike Pence also mentioned elsewhere that he that uh, Kamala Harris is playing politics, quote-unquote playing politics with people's lives because she refused to take the vaccination. And here's the thing, he totally misrepresented her in that. What she had said is that if a vaccine came out, she would absolutely take it. If it was condoned by experts, not Trump. So she said if it was experts, doctors, researchers, you know, the, the, the experts in the field saying, hey, this is a good vaccine, it'll work, take it. She said she, she'll listen to the experts. What she also said is that if it was just Trump coming out there, kind of what he's doing with this, uh, this Generon therapeutic stuff now, so if, if Trump comes out and says, hey, this is a cure, take it, she's not going to take it because of his word alone. That's what she said. And Mike Pence spent a good chunk of discussion on COVID misrepresenting what she had said regarding that comment. So Pence can't sit there and, and be like, oh, the Republicans are all about science and finding a cure when they, their man, their, their president right now is toting a therapeutic experimental drug saying that it's a cure. It's not a cure. There's a difference between a cure and a therapeutic drug. The therapeutic drug just numbs or deadens <clears throat> the pain or the, the, the side effects of that, that virus. It's, in a way, it's kind of like morphine. The, the more, when you get morphine, it deadens or lessens the pain that you're experiencing. It's not a cure for whatever it is that's, that's afflicting you. It's just numbing and deadening the pain so that it's more bearable for you. That's not a cure. So with Trump getting up there and toting this, uh, this, uh, therapeutic drug, he's just doing the same thing that he did with uh, hydrochloroquine and bleach injections and all these other things that he had, you know, mentioned, whether in jest or in seriousness. So, you know, it's, this is not how you, you run it, you know, and, and that kind of leads it into the next topic in that uh, Kamala Harris was asked about well, what will Biden and you do if you are elected president? What would you What would you do to to counter this, to to get COVID under control? You know, and and she kind of gave the uh, the generic uh, answer, and that's to uh, you know they'll plan to do contact tracing, do more testing, and provide free vaccines or cures once those come out. Okay, but what? 
Um, how? How is that going to happen? Give us some details, you know. Provide some details as to how you're going to achieve these goals. Um, and it was kind of funny, I, I thought anyway, that uh, the uh, Vice President Pence would go on to say, oh, well, that's just Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, quote-unquote, plagiarizing Trump's plan. Well, no, not really. Um, whenever there's an outbreak, you generally follow a prescribed course of action. That's not plagiarism. You just It's just following a logical train of events. Now, how you go about exercising each train of events, the, the details behind it, now, yeah, that can be different. That can be plagiarizing if you can actually prove that that's being done. But you can't prove that the Biden camp is plagiarizing the Trump camp on this. So that was just kind of a, a you know, a deflection on Pence's part to, to basically try to make it look like uh, um, the Democrats would do the same thing regarding response to the coronavirus. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I don't know. So I guess the main thing is, is let's, let's see, you know, let's see how they handle it. Now, one thing I did want to mention as well is a couple of things that were not discussed. Um, and this kind of deals with how the Trump campaign has decided to respond and and operate when it comes to the coronavirus. Um, and this was back in uh, in April, where there are reports, there's accusations that came out from France, Germany, Canada, you know, a bunch of our allies that was saying that uh, the United States was conducting piracy when it came to uh supplies for the coronavirus France and Germany were reporting that United States was uh taking um and redirecting vessels that had coronavirus supplies for those countries and redirecting them back to American ports so they could be sold in the United States basically they that that the United States was stealing or pirating coronavirus supplies and apparently there was some pretty good uh um, there's pretty good evidence to back that up, that the United States was going around and seizing ships and redirecting them to, to American shores so we can get those coronavirus uh, supplies even after our allies, our supposed allies, had paid for those supplies. Nothing was mentioned about that as part of Trump's plan. How come? Bring it up. Say, hey, look at how he's behaving on the international stage. That's not how we should be handling ourselves. We should not be cutting out supplies that are destined for other countries to take them and put them back in our hands. And the justification that the Trump administration and Trump himself used was, is, oh, well, we're, uh, we're exercising the Defense Production Act. So that means U.S. companies need to prioritize America first. And that means all their stuff should first be going towards the United States, and that there's time afterwards, supplies should be sold to other countries. Uh, that's not how international. That's not how business works. Uh, what's I always thought that Republicans were all about small government and 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 the state not jumping in and and trying to uh, dictate what the quote unquote free market does. So, but now it's okay to force companies to only sell to Americans, especially if they're American companies. So much for free trade, so much for free market. And then you turn around and pirate that. That actually sounds like free market uh, behaviors. It sounds like the, the British Empire all over again. So, you know, I guess good job at being real capitalists. But regardless. So nothing was mentioned about that. Um, nothing was mentioned about the Trump campaign or the Trump administration's 
tactics when it comes to making forcing states to compete with each other and other countries for much needed supplies. So it was reported in the same time period in April by the same sources that Trump was forcing states to compete for for coronavirus supplies to, to counter the coronavirus. And that he was more willing to give supplies to states with governors that were loyal to him and less likely to give them to uh, quote-unquote blue states that had governors or controlled by Democrats because they weren't loyal to him, regardless of whether, regardless of the need of each of each state. And that's not how you do politics. That's not how you do politics. That's not how you address an emergency situation, a medical emergency. You don't sit there and play favorites because one is willing to kowtow to you no matter what you do, and the other one will question you. That is not how it works. That's not how the federal government is supposed to use its strategic resources for a medical emergency. They're supposed to be allocated based off of the the proportional need and not based off of political fealty. This is a classic case of being a dictator. And then also, um, to kind of close out this section, Mike Pence also tried to... uh, um, equate the uh, Obama-Biden response to the swine flu in 2009 and, and basically suggest that it was worse than the coronavirus situation under Trump and Pence, but yet, he, but yet that duo, the, the, the Democrat duo from that administration, were never chastised for it. Well, for starters, the swine flu, they should actually call it the American flu. If they're going to stick with this naming convention, like what they're doing to demonize China, they should call it the American flu because it got started in the United States. So why don't we call it the American flu or the U.S. flu? Oh, right, because we always got to look like we're these this angelic country that's altruistic and always trying to help others. And everybody else is just demonic and evil and trying to be the bad guys. There's this this false narrative that they go, and it boils down to even the naming conventions. Just another reason to show that their reaction to China is xenophobic. But the swine flu, a.k.a. the American flu, just like how the Spanish flu should have been called the American flu as well, because it got its start in Kansas, but, eh, you know... Can't you, you can't question the American empire. Anyway, getting back on point, you know, Pence was trying to say that Obama and Biden failed at protecting the American people during the swine flu epidemic. Well, you know, and he cited that there's 60 million people that got infected by uh, swine flu and only uh, 7 million for the coronavirus. So, you know, totally different standard, right? Well... Yeah, because the swine flu wasn't as bad. It was it spread quicker, and there's a paper. There's paperwork that even talks about it from the CDC, where they discuss how the swine flu was easier to spread, but it was very mild in its severity, especially compared to this coronavirus that we're seeing now. Now, keep in mind that this uh, um, CDC paper was from. Uh, June 16th of 2010, and it basically discussed the H1N1, it, it, how it began, and what was done to, uh, to mitigate it. And yeah, there was a different response because there was a different flu, different set of criteria for how it, it spread and how severe it was. So there, there was a brief lockdown. It was a very soft lockdown, you know, mainly just schools and stuff like that. That were shut down, but that was because the Obama administration targeted the demographics most susceptible to getting the swine flu, and that was young kids. That's why schools closed down and other functions like uh, summer camps 
shut down initially, briefly, in order to curb it. Now, as things did reopen prematurely, there were more spikes in the swine flu. But even though 60 million Americans caught the swine flu, only about 13 or 14,000 people actually died from it. Let's compare what we've got going on now. We've got over 210,000 people, and we haven't even hit the year marker yet. Whereas swine flu killed 14,000 in a year. You know, and the response that the Obama administration took was, hey, let's, let's, let's get after this. It came out in, in March or April of 2009, months into uh, Obama's first term. So right off the bat, they got in. They had to uh, figure out how to c- combat this virus, and they just went to town on it. You know, yeah, sure, there were spikes and it spread, but that was because they started reopening. Yeah, so they, re- they, they reopened immaturely. They didn't wait. But still, only 14,000 people, when it was all said and done, died. Not 210,000 and still the f- less than the first year of it. And by August, they already had a, uh, a vaccine in the final workings. And by November, towards the, you know, towards the end of 20, 2009, they had, they had a vaccine out and about. And they were implementing it. So they had tons of time to, uh, you know, get their act together. They did get their act together. They, they, they made sure that they uh, used their uh, emergency supplies for it. And they... Uh, Address the situation. So even though it spread quicker than the coronavirus has, just in the U.S. alone, had a, a, a it was less lethal because it was a milder flu. <clears throat> and what was real, what made it really interesting and and uh, uh, epidemic was how fast it spread and the fact that it was a mutation that they had never seen before in that strain of flus, the H one N one, the swine flu. It was a they, they they had said it was a flu that they had not seen before. It had evolved and spread and was completely different from what they had seen in the past. So were they being alarmist about it? No, I think they had a really good response to it. And they curbed it. You know, they were able to stop it from affecting more people. That's what you want to do. When something like this comes out, you don't want to just sit there and be like, well, I'll wait for it to kill a million people, then I'll step in and do something. No. You try to, you try to, try to stop it early so that it, it doesn't become a major threat. Because if it becomes a major threat, you failed. So that's what needs to be done for this whole situation with the um, coronavirus. And it's not being done. And... The Trump administration completely and utterly failed on that. Now let's see what the Democrats will do. Let's see if Biden and Harris will actually step up and do what needs to be done. What they also, what, what Mike Pence also discussed and what was not mentioned was, you know, he, he, he blamed uh, Obama and Biden for uh, ransacking the uh, strategic national uh, uh, stockpile and left it empty. Trump has been telling this lie for uh, um, for months now about how he inherited an empty uh, stockpile. Well, yes and no. Knowing that it wasn't empty, there were the 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 regional or the the districts that they have all these uh, command centers at, if you will, for the for emergency responses. They were full. They weren't empty. They were full. Now, the problem was is certain items, like the masks, those were depleted. And yes, they were not replenished. Why? Here's a couple reasons. During Obama's two terms, he had to face three different epidemic issues. 2009, it was the swine flu. I'm sorry, the American flu. And then he also had to fight Ebola and Zika towards the end of his, in his second term, 2014. I think the other one was 2011, so I guess it was his first term. But he, in the course of eight years, he had to fight three epidemics. And on top of that, 
On top of that, he had to deal with the uh, the Tea Party uh, small government folks that infested the Republican Party and refused to pass a reasonable budget to replenish them. So every single time, every single year that Obama sent forth the budget saying, hey, this is what we need for restockpiling our our SNS, the strategic stockpile that we have for emergency situations, because the Republicans were hell-bent on stopping anything that Obama ever did, and because they were infested by Tea Party fanatics who thought, you know, government's the problem and they can't be doing anything, how dare they spend taxpayer money on stuff that actually helps we the people, they were able to curb Obama's ability to replenish or even budget this emergency stockpile and emergency response. So when these three things hit, he had to use what he had. And so when it came to replenishing these face masks and other key supplies that we need now for this coronavirus, he didn't have the funds. He couldn't replenish them. And on top of that, he had to now choose with a limited budget what he was going to go for. So what did he do? He went with providing as much money as he could for the vaccines and the drugs to help cure people once that came out, which meant he had to put face masks and other supplies on the side. Hence the shortage that we had during some of those uh, epidemics like uh, Zika and the Ebola viruses. You know, we were running on a, on a shortened deficit supply of those key supplies that we need because the, the Obama administration was saving up for the vaccine and the cure, you know, the drugs for it, so that we can get as many people the, the vaccine as possible. But nothing was mentioned in the, uh, in the debate about how the Republicans hamstringed Obama on being able to replenish the strategic national stockpile. So that's why Trump inherited certain things that were empty, is because the Republicans were uh, being obstructionists the whole time and, and limiting his budget, cutting his budget. I mean, we saw that with uh, Benghazi in the embassy th- situation. Republicans cut the budget for embassies and consulates, and then Benghazi happens. They blame it on Obama and Clinton because they were ill-prepared to uh, properly staff and protect it, the embassy or consulate. And then afterwards, they turn around and cut budget on, on that very thing again. So you can't sit there and complain about the administration before you not properly stockpiling these emergency reserves because it was your team that prevented him from doing it. And then on top of that, he's complaining that he inherited this emptiness that was three and a half years ago, Trump. What were you doing? What have you been doing since then? You had two years where you controlled the Supreme Court, the White House, and both houses of Congress. Two years to put forth a budget that would adequately resupply um, the stockpile. But you didn't do it. And you didn't do it this last year and a half either. You had three years to prepare for you know, uh, uh, an impending viral disaster. You were warned about it when you took office in 2017. You had, even in 2019, you had paperwork that was given to you by your experts in the field that said, hey, there is a very good chance that you're going to see another viral pandemic and you need to be prepared for it. And Trump and the GOP just flopped it off. They didn't care. They're too busy giving tax cuts to their rich buddies. No wonder why we can't so, uh, support that kind of a budget when we keep giving tax cuts away. Well, now here we are. We're sitting in a mess because we didn't prepare for it. Despite the warnings that the Obama administration left and that was told to Trump and the GOP by their own administration. And on top of that... You know, it, it. I'll just move on from there. I'm. I'm not gonna jump in any further with, uh, with that whole thing. It's. It's been a mess. So, 
anyway, uh, let's move on to the second topic before I go on a tangent with the with Trump and his COVID ordeal. So uh, the next topic they talked about was health of the candidates. Um, and uh, I just thought it was very ironic, the response to um, <clears throat> how Trump was treated while in the hospital. Mike Pence said he got exceptionally, exceptionally good health care. Um, he's doing really good. You feel great and all this other stuff. So what you're saying is, is that you're lying to the American people about Bernie and his Medicare for All plan being a, a manifesto hinting that he's a socialist or a communist. When Trump was treated and got this exceptionally good um, health care pr- provide, provided to him, by the taxpayer dime. He just made a case for ta- Medicare for all, for a universal health care system. That's what the uh, that's what our politicians get. It's all taxpayer funded. We foot the bill for their for their health care. So this exceptionally great and quick um, health care providing that he got was on our dime. That he just praised Medicare for all and this and a and a universal or socialized healthcare plan. So why don't we do it for the rest of us? Right, because both parties are beholden to healthcare insurance companies. You want to talk about big pharma and and uh, you know Wall Street and all these other industries that have a stranglehold on on our political system. The health insurance industry is is one of them. Medical companies and health insurance companies have a stranglehold on the, the political process. That's why we don't have a Medicare for all or a universal or socialized healthcare system is because it would take out all the profits of these uh, big time uh, um, tycoons. That's what's going on. But you got Mike Pence saying they're talking about how the taxpayer-funded health care that he and uh, others in, in the presidency and Congress get is superb. That is ex- it's exceptional. So then how come the rest of the American people don't get that? We're not going to be able to get that same kind of health care to battle coronavirus if we get it. No, we get this, uh, health, this for-profit health care system where we'll probably have to pay out the ass to get treated and get back to being normal. So, you know, nothing was said about that. But then again, you know, the Biden-Harris campaign is not about promoting a Medicare for all system. And they've mentioned that before, that they're not for the Bernie plan of a universal or socialized health care plan like Medicare for all. So it was never brought up because neither side actually cares about giving we the people a a good system of health care. And what was Kamala Harris's response to it is, well, he only paid $750 in federal taxes for two years, and yet he gets this exceptional health care. Okay. But, how? yeah, that, that's true, but how does that help? How is that going to help everybody else? You're not promoting anything better. You know, yeah, you got the ACA, but the ACA has been gutted by state legislators, especially in red states, so that it could become ineffective for most people who need it. So the ACA has lost a lot of teeth because it was given this this state mandate that allows states to go in there and tweak it the way they want to. And as a result, a lot of Republican states, a lot of Republican-controlled states have just gutted the ACA so where it, it cannot actually benefit the people. And you're not willing to go for a Medicare for All plan like Bernie your, your ideas is status quo. So how is just pointing out Trump's federal taxes going to help? Yeah, he's basically freeloading off the system. Yeah, we figured that. And it's okay to mention that, but give more substance than just, oh, well, he's, he only paid $750, so, I mean, he's a freeloader. Okay, well, then talk about how you're going to change the system. Talk about how you're going to fix the system. The status quo and just saying, well, we just want the status quo is not going to cut it for everybody else.
Of course, this led to Mike Pence talking about how Donald Trump is transparent about his tax paperwork, but we've seen for the last four years that's not true. He's refused to, to uh, um, release his tax information and has skirted a lot of probes and uh, court orders to release it. So what's he hiding? He keeps saying that the, the, the new uh, tax leaks that where we found the $750 in federal taxes for a couple years, he keeps saying that, that that paperwork is false. Okay, then show us show us the tax returns. Show us how it's incorrect. Why should I believe you when you lie all the time that that what was leaked out to the press was fake. I'm not going to take your word for it. I want to see the documents. You refused to, uh, to, to provide them and say they're still in the works and then when they're done, you'll show them. From 2016, it doesn't take four years for, for your tax returns to get done. My tax returns were done a month later after I filed for 2016. Same thing for 2017 and 2018 and 2019. It doesn't take that long to do taxes. So unless if you're being audited by the IRS for some pretty serious shit, chances are you're not going to get, you know, it's not going to take three, four years for your tax returns to come out. And if you are being audited by the IRS, well, then that means there's some concern. And it's what... uh, Kamala Harris did point out, he only paid $750 in federal taxes a couple years, no taxes other years, and he owes about $400 million in debt. To who? Who is he beholden to where they could call on his debts, debt loans and be like, hey, pay up or else? Who, who, so who is he beholden to? That's what I want to know. I want to know who our, who our president is the bitch for. Because somebody owns that debt, and somebody's holding it over his head. That's obvious, especially given the fact that he's been dealing with uh, mobsters from from Russia and, and elsewhere around the world. You know, it's it's it makes me wonder. It really does. But the hard questions about health of our candidates and how. It'll be done how there would be a transition from a, a vice president position to a president position. I think the easiest answer to that question would have been, because that's how this whole thing got started, is they're talking about the health of the candidates and what kind of a transition there would be between being a vice president and then assuming the role of presidency. Well, I think Kamala Harris actually... Uh, you know, hinted at that where when she talked about how, well, because her and Joe are aligning with the Democratic Party's platform, there will be a smooth transition because it's all about a candidate upholding that platform of that party, which makes sense. That's kind of how you want a, a political party to run, is you, the political party has a platform and the candidates comply and uh, and conform to that platform. So that kind of makes sense, but at the same token, get into more details, you know. Discuss more about how health care and the health of our um, po- politicians is important to the American people. Because that was ignored, and I think that's a very important topic to discuss, especially in this issue that is being talked about anyway. That needs to be brought up, and it wasn't. Um, moving on to the third one, and it has to deal with the economy. Uh, the main talking point that Kamala Harris brought out was that uh, uh, the Trump's, Trump's tax cut uh, will lead to $2, million, $2 trillion in a deficit, and if Biden takes office, he will repeal that Trump tax cut and that he will reallocate that money towards things that the people need. Infrastructure, better education. I think she even talked about free tuition for uh, um, technical colleges and, and, and stuff like that. College debt reliefs. Um, basically other items that we the people need. 
Uh, now, I am a little hesitant to believe her, especially on the education portion when it comes to uh, lowering, lowering tuition or making certain colleges free, as well as helping uh, uh, with college debt release, re- relief, like uh, forgiving student loans, uh, especially since uh, Biden's from Delaware, and Delaware's kind of the hot spot for some of these uh, college loan companies like uh, Nelnet and Sally Mae and all these other ones. And these, these private companies that acted in a quasi-governmental fashion are notorious for um, just reaping tons of profit off of the backs of college debt. And you know that coming from that state, Biden is beholden to those special interests. He is an establishment candidate, just like Mike Pence, just like Trump, and just like Kamala Harris. All four of these candidates that we're seeing are establishment candidates who will put their corporate and plutocratic interests before we the people. So it would be interesting to see if if these particular items that Kamala Harris mentioned will actually come to fruition if Biden becomes president. If he'll actually go and reinvest this money that we're losing in taxes because of the, the cuts to uh, to the rich, what will happen? And uh, so are they, are they empty platitudes about how taxes need to go to help we the people and not the rich? And that if there are tax cuts, it's supposed to help the we the people and not the rich? We'll see if that's actually true. And in, in, in fashion, you know, Mike Pence responded, well, hey, you know, if you vote for Biden and Harris, then that's a, that means they're going to raise taxes on everyone. Even though multiple times... Biden and Harris have said, well, no, no taxes will be raised on people making less than $400,000. Only above that mark is where you'll see tax increases. So even though Kamala Harris actually said that multiple times, Mike Pence kept repeating a lie, saying, no, they're going to raise it on everyone. So according to the platform, that's what the Democrats are saying. Above four hundred thousand k or four hundred k, then boom, tax increases. Below 400K, no tax increases. That's what the plan says. And speculate, speculation will, will dictate that, well, let's see if they actually pull through on that. We'll see. Um, I would rather see that platform go into office and then hold their feet to the fire than continue on with the current one and continue to see our tax funds depleted to where we can't even up properly... Um, deal with something like a pandemic. And that reminds me, speaking of a pandemic, but going back to COVID real quick, you know, we we need this tax money to support these things. And one of the things that they did not mention is that during this whole budget cut, the whole preparedness for the... Um, SNS, our Strategic National Stockpile of Emergency Medical Supplies, that was privatized, okay? And this is across the board. This is done by Republicans and Democrats. They privatize these comp- the, 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 this, this government service funded by taxpayers. They privatize it, put it in the hands of the private corporations. And of course, what they're going to do is they're going to make cuts on their, on their end because they're going to make sure that they make supplies that are more profitable for them. Which, face masks ain't it. Okay, those things, I mean, you can get a dime a dozen. So, they're going to go after this. They're going to make the supplies that are most profitable, most beneficial for them. And they're going to ignore potentially other supplies that are needed. And that's kind of what the case was, especially in New York State. So when, when, when Cuomo gets all this praise for how he's handling it, keep in mind, he also privatized this whole industry. And part of the reason why they have a shortage is because he privatized it. And some of these private corporations, they only made the stuff that was profitable to them, that they can make more profit off of. Ignoring other needed supplies 
that didn't have a profit margin to them or as much of one, and therefore they didn't produce it. So maybe we should stop privatizing this, this whole industry. Stop privatizing the healthcare industry. That has not been discussed. Whether when it comes to our healthcare and the health of our politicians or when it comes to COVID response. But anyway, back to the economy. Okay. Um, of course, this led towards um, Mike Pence complaining about how China's, you know, playing unfairly and they're, uh, you know, all in, in essence, they're, they're cheating and that's why the United States is losing. And also blamed uh, Democrats and Clinton for NAFTA for destroying our, uh, um, our economy. Um, but what is not really mentioned is that it's, it was both Republicans and Democrats. Keep in mind, NAFTA started in the Reagan administration, supported by Reagan and his neoliberal uh, um, econ- economists. Excuse me, economists. It was started by Reagan and, and the Democrats and was pushed and, and, and went through various reiterations um, up until Clinton. It went through Bush and his, his, his uh, single-term administration. And then finally it got to Clinton in 93 and he signed it. But when, when, when people like Trump and Pence state that, oh, it was Democrats who, uh, who are responsible for NAFTA, you're not telling the whole story. There was more support for NAFTA amongst Republicans than there was Democrats. In the House, I believe there's like 130 Republicans who voted in favor of NAFTA as opposed to 100 Democrats. In the Senate, similar numbers. Uh, I can't remember the exact numbers uh, from the Senate, but it was, a, it was the same proportion. So there it was a bipartisan issue. Both parties and their establishments were like, yeah, let's do this. We're, we're both heirs of, of Reagan. Republicans have made that very clear, but Democrats like Obama and Pelosi and Biden, they have also stated that too. So both parties have acknowledged that they are heirs to Reagan and his economic policies. They call it neoliberalism. Um, Or Reaganomics, trickle-down economics, whatever you really want to call it. It's kind of the same thing. But that's what's happening. Both sides made this decision as a bipartisan issue. And as a result, it's destroying our economy. And who's also to blame for it? It's not China. China is actually playing by the rules we set forth for them. When it comes to them, quote unquote, stealing our intellectual property, most of the time they're just playing our own contracts against ourselves. They're winning that battle. They're winning that chess game of politics and economics. We went in there with a xenophobic attitude that Chinese people were stupid. We made contracts with them and by we, I mean American corporations, went in there made these contracts with them, thinking that the Chinese were too stupid to uh, take advantage of these contracts, and they were, dead, they were wrong. As a result, China played them and now has the upper hand in, in the, the global economics because they, they played our own chess game against us and they're beating the shit out of us. They're not cheating. Maybe slightly here and there, but overall they're not cheating. They're just playing our own game against us and they're doing it better than we are. You know, so you can't blame China. You can blame the American corporations because they're the ones that worked hand in hand with these neoliberal Democrats and Republicans to take these jobs overseas, pay people less, gut unions, and make a bigger profit all the while, Americans lose out on really good paying jobs with good benefits. And as a result, oh, well, yeah, you know, we're, you know, Trump's like, we're creating more jobs, but what kind of jobs are they? They're service industry jobs with barely any benefits and barely any pay, almost minimum wage level. So, yeah, you're, you're replacing some jobs that have been lost over the years, and you are replacing some jobs that have been lost because of the coronavirus, but they're not the same quality of jobs as what was lost. The pay isn't there. The benefits aren't there. 
And some people just stopped looking for, for work, and therefore they're no longer counted in the uh, unemployment stats. So you can tote how well the Wall Street uh, stock market is, or you can tote how you know, your, your unemployment numbers are going down and you're bringing jobs back, but it doesn't mean anything. The job quality isn't there. The pay isn't there. The benefits aren't there. And the, uh, um, you know, it's just, it's not there. So let's pretend that this is just bullshit that's no one believes, okay? You know, the other comment that uh, Mike Pence made is that the Dems will destroy our, our jobs and our economy with regulations and this Green New Deal even though Biden and Kamala Harris said that the Green New Deal is not theirs. They've taken portions of it, but the Green New Deal is not their plan. And that's right, because people, the actual left doesn't like Biden because of that. And Kamala Harris has said that, you know, the, the tariff war is bankrupting manufacturing and farming jobs and the industries in general, and she's right. You know, this tariff war is destroying our economy. If you want more American jobs, better American paying jobs, you bring them first back and then you start a tariff war. You don't start a tariff war and because these two industries are already depleted and and in dire shape as it is, it's not going to turn it around. And as a result, we saw what happened, you know, farming and manufacturing is tanking. Trump had to go in there and bail out farmers because of his tariff war. I've I I used to work with a couple people who were, you know, who families were came from farming and they said they'll never vote for Trump again because of this tariff war, that they're losing a lot of income because of it. So, you know, this this is this whole economic disaster, yeah, it's it's bipartisan. Both sides, both parties are responsible for what's going on. But at the same token, Trump is is, is and his his uh his uh, neocon uh, neoliberals are adding to it. They're aspirating the problem. So, you know, you can't point the finger when your side's doing it just as bad and you're doing it even worse than your side has in previous years. So that's kind of my take on the on the economy. They didn't really talk about the key issues surrounding why the economy is failing in the United States. So uh, well, I'm coming up to the 55-minute uh, the mark here. So my guess is I'm going to have to go and do a part two on this. I've only got gotten through three of the uh, eight subjects. So um, I guess I will set up for part two here. Uh, stay tuned for part two of uh, the VP boxing match that we had a couple days ago. And this is your host, Jason, with The Deep Selling Mind, signing off. Have a good rest of your morning, and we'll talk to you later today.